0: when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was with a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, remember how this imposter said, when he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore... Order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Least his disciples go and steal him away and tell people, He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the tomb and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes was white as snow. And And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, while they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, "Tell people his disciples came by night and stole his soul away his stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will, satisf- he, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble." So they. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day.
1: Death. Uh, When I practiced this in front of my kids, they said, Dad, you got to go death, 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 death. death. So death, 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 death. Uh, They say death is the worm at the core of existence, uh, eating away slowly. From the inside out. If you think of an apple uh, full of life, a fruit of life, and it's meant to represent life, uh, then death is like that worm that gets in somehow, and it's eating away and rotting life, this thing of life from the inside out, eating away slowly. During the pandemic, certainly, we have come face to face, whether we like it or not, uh, with death. Uh, there's been excess mortality, and certainly it has hit all of us, and we've processed it in some way. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, something called the terror management theory has been re- revisited a lot, and if you Google it, there's been a, lot, a slew of articles during the pandemic, uh, and it was uh, created by scientists, psychologists, uh, Sheldon Solomon, Jeff Greenberg, Thomas Pazinski, and they were researching the ways in which humans avoid thinking about death, avoid thinking about their own mortality and how we behave when we are reminded of death. And uh, this theory has been around for, I think several decades and all the highest uh, at, of academia and, and science and so forth um, agree with this theory and, and say, this is a sound observation of how we act as human beings. Uh, And what they found was that uh, death reminders cause a range of predictable behaviors. Predictable behaviors, all designed specifically to deny our certain end. That's our human tendency, to want to deny our mortality. And somehow to cement a sense of individual meaning and significance. So some people, uh, we try to literally extend our lives. Uh, with better uh, life practices, better eating habits, better exercise, uh, wearing a mask, and, and, and so forth, so forth. Um, and we try to extend our life literally. But some of us, beyond that, we try to extend our life symbolically. So we try to find some meaning in life, some cause to leave a legacy, to leave some mark on the world. And then some of us, for certain, uh, we respond recklessly. Uh, These are the YOLO people, right? You only live once, and so I'm going to jump off a cliff. I'm going to throw all caution to the wind and just drink the night away or just do whatever I want with my life, okay? And so they named this idea terror management theory. uh, And to put it in different terms, um, to function as a normal human being, uh, it's kind of understandable that we want to deny life or deny death. Because how else would you go about all just the mundane aspects of life? As one article put it, uh, cleaning the gutters, paying the bills, sitting in traffic. Uh, if you're constantly thinking about death, then you wouldn't be able to go about everyday normal life. And that's why the pandemic on one hand is so disruptive. Okay? Uh, so how else would you go about the mundane aspects of your daily life unless, and this is where Jesus and the gospel enter, I'm just setting it up. The door's wide open unless you know you have life after death. And this life is not everything. It's not the period. It's not the end point. There truly is something more to live for beyond the grave. Now, if you yourself uh, struggle with a fear of death, even as a Christian, I don't blame you, because the way we're hardwired, we go back to Genesis, and what we were hardwired from, from creation, was to live eternally. Adam and Eve and all their progeny, all the generations to come, you and me as well, in the absence of sin, were meant to live eternally. But we know death entered as a consequence of Adam and Eve's rebellion, and we're born into that. All of us are born sinners and face the wages of sin, which is death. So I have sympathy for all of us that fear death, even as Christians. And, and so, but, but I invite you to continue on the journey of maturing and living out the joy and the power and the hope that you're meant to have because you know, you know, not just believe fancifully, but you know that Jesus rose from the dead and everything that that means. And so I've entitled today's sermon, because Jesus rose from the dead, dot, dot, dot. And I want to show you what that, at least draw out a few things from today's text to show you what that's supposed to mean for you and for me. And so my prayer for all of us, I hope this could become some, uh, some form of this prayer for yourself. Lord, let me be forever changed by your resurrection. Let me be forever changed by your resurrection. So I want to ask the question, uh, how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ change my life? I hope to leave you with some concrete ways to live into this. And the first thing that I want you to see with me is that Jesus' resurrection shakes me. It shakes me down to my foundations. And so I want you to put on your uh, detective lenses, uh, your observation glasses, and, and I want you, in the back of your mind, to notice as we're going through the passage before and after. I want you to try to see with me the woman before, uh, the guards before, the, the political uh, people and powers before, and how we're supposed to be different after. And what you're going to see today uh, is that Luke, or sorry Matthew, excuse me he uses his favorite, one of his favorite literary devices the word behold. And we see it show up four times. And so I'm going to organize my sermon around those four beholds. And, and we're gonna supposed to pay attention to these beholds. And so the first behold, this is where I'm getting the whole notion that Jesus' resurrection is supposed to shake us to our foundations. Because behold, I'm going to jump to chapter 28, verse 2 first. Behold, there was a great earthquake for... And so, four is the reason why there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So, here we're to understand this as the resurrection scene. It wasn't the angel per se that raised Jesus from the dead. No, that was the Father vindicating Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit raising his son from the dead. But, nevertheless, as a whole package, here this is part of the resurrection scene, and there's an earthquake because of the resurrection scene. So this is both literal and symbolic for you and me. Literally, because of the resurrection, there's an earthquake. The resurrection causes a literal earthquake here, but also in our hearts, it's meant to cause an earthquake. When we think of an earthquake, my heart goes out to uh, Haitians and uh, experiencing another tragic earthquake just within five or six years, some short time like that. And when you think of the the effects of an earthquake, it shakes everything down to its foundations. And only what will firm will stand. Only what is firm will stand. Only what is firm will last. Only what can last will last. That's the power of an earthquake, to shake us down to our foundations. Prime Minister Boris Johnson of Britain said something very beautiful and poetic, in light of Britain's continued attempt to uh, rescue refugees and British nationals from Afghanistans, and he said, "We'll shift heaven and Earth. We'll shift heaven and Earth. That's the, the description of the power of an earthquake to shift heaven and Earth, to literally shift the Earth. And so we need to understand what the magnitude of Jesus' resurrection is meant to be in our lives. And that's why. God orchestrates an earthquake being associated with Jesus' resurrection. There's supposed to be a magnitude of Jesus' resurrection, it's supposed to shake us down and expose what is fragile and crumbles under the truth of God and what will only last, what will last under the truth of God. And we know, we know, you know, you know the, the answer to that. It's anything united to Christ. And so put it this way Jesus' resurrection changes everything it's meant to change everything so this is first a word to my Christian brothers and sisters my fellow Christ followers this is something we're to wake up to every day we're supposed to have a little earthquake happen in our hearts every day to be reminded that Jesus shakes us down to our foundations and we want only what will last to be found in our hearts and it's Jesus and then to build our life upon one solid rock, Jesus, his death and resurrection. And so first, let's look in the mirror and and reflect. Do do I live in the magnitude of Jesus' resurrection? As I've been walking through this pandemic, have I been walking in some kind of fear and anxiety of death or whatnot? Or has my heart been stable? Has my heart been anchored? Sure, it might have been tossed to and fro a little bit. Even my heart was at the beginning, and I was OCD and paranoid. I'll just admit that there was a part of me that was like that at the beginning, and and I had to find my moorings again. I had to find my anchoring again in Christ, and, and his resurrection shook my heart and my thinking down to its foundation. What do I really believe in? Now, when we continue to think of Jesus' resurrection changing everything, uh, as a Christ follower, if Jesus just was a good man and remained dead, there's no point to your Christian faith. And just to use a quick analogy, imagine uh, a, a car accident. You're driving someone's car, a friend's car. This actually happened to me not too long ago. And, and you get into an accident in your friend's car. Okay? For me, it was just a small fender bender, and it's all taken care of, and My friends were very gracious, and it all worked out. But um, now you think of that analogy. Jesus, if you think of that car accident, three things have to happen. First, the damage has to be paid for. Okay, The damage has to be paid for somehow. That's the cross. That's what Jesus' cross did. So when he died, the damage was paid for, the damage of our sin. But beyond that, the relationship has to be healed. The relationship has to be restored there has to be nothing awkward that's the atonement the cross jesus takes your place he substitutes you but now there has to be actual atonement and reconciliation between you and the father so the relationship needs to be healed but it's not enough just to pay for the damage and for the relationship to be good for full restoration that the car has to be replaced has to be made new. It has to be fixed. Not just paid for, but fixed. And so to fix the damage and provide a new car, that's like the resurrection. That's God saying, my son has done well. I vindicate him, and I'm going to raise him to new life, to uh, his final resurrection body. And now all of us in union with Christ, we can look forward to a new body, a fixed earth, a fixed just everything about life as it was meant to be. And so, think of another picture with me, just dominoes falling. And the resurrection is a very important domino to fall in God's plan. But I want you, what I want you to think of, if, 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 if this is the resurrection, this domino that's just falling, everything before had to happen for that domino of Christ's resurrection to fall. So meaning from Genesis to the point of Jesus crying, it is finished on the cross, God has been wonderfully, faithfully, consistently, powerfully through history, in spite of whatever earthly, manly powers and governments and our sin, He has been causing every step of His plan, every domino to fall one after another in intentional order and so Christ has died, and now he is resurrected, and that domino falls as well. Christ is raised from the dead. And so, but now the resurrection is not the last domino. God is continuing to work out, and he will finish his full plan of redemption. And that's what we await for. We can be part of those wonderful dominoes of God's wonderful plan plan of redemption, story of redemption, continuing to fall as we wait for Christ to return. So I want to point out to you some things that the resurrection changes. And remember that mindset of before and after. But first, before I want you to think of is this a dead Jesus Remember, if, if the car is only paid for but not fixed and the relationship isn't restored, a, a dead Jesus is the saddest sadness. And, and I would actually, if Jesus would only died, I would be the first to tell myself and all of you, what are we doing here? Let's go out and just enjoy our so- Sunday mornings like everyone else does. Let's use it just for some more recuperation time in the weekend. Before we head back to the grind of work, a dead Jesus is the saddest sadness for so many reasons. And I could go on and on about why that would be the saddest sadness. But we see some of that first in the woman. And I'm going to back up to two verses before what was read. Uh, There were also many women, and this is the crucifixion scene. They were looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Debedee. So I want you to first think of these women uh, on one level. And here are women who are so devoted to Christ. They had been touched by Christ's grace and his gospel. They believed in him. They saw him as a wonderful man, a good man. There's nothing funky going on here. This is just a pure, innocent devotion and wanting to support the good work of a good man. But here, they, 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 they have that, that extra heart to even go to the cross, and they're mourning, they're grieving, they're sad. And that's how pure and wonderful and noble their devotion is. So much so, jumping to verse 1 of chapter 28, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And so even after he was removed from the cross, and after he was buried, to be the first to pay respects to this wonderful dead man. Now, this is a heartwarming scene, but it's a sad scene. It's the scene, if you have lost a loved one, and you went to go visit the gravesite of that loved one. And all you have are memories. All you have are even tears welling up again because you miss that person, that loved one. That's the sadness that is going on here. Now, what we also have to remember is that these women, socially, they were second class. It's the sad truth of Jesus' time. They were second class. They were truly the humble of society. And their witness, their testimony was second class. Just remember that. Because opposite now, we have someone on the very other social spectrum, end of the social spectrum here. Verse 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man. This is still Friday. And Jesus has died He's cried out, "It is finished." He gave up his last breath, and a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, and we know from the other Gospels, he was part of the Sanhedrin. Matthew records a detail here that he was rich. He was rich, and the political powers, the Jewish leaders, they were rich, but he was also a disciple. John goes so much to give the detail in his Gospel that he was a secret follower. And so it seems like there are certain situations where that is not the ideal, but acceptable before God for whatever reason. And he was a genuine follower of Christ in secret. He was a rich man. Of course, he, in terms of earthly terms, he had a lot at stake. He had his political clout. He had his social status, perhaps even his riches. Maybe they would have been seized. They probably had a way to seize funds back then if, if you were in the bad books of the political powers. But here we see that he has the gumption. He has the courage. And he uses his political power and clout to and his sway to go to Pilate, the most powerful man in his region at that time. And he requests to Pilate for the body of Jesus. Why? Again. He's so moved, so moved. By the death of this innocent seeing this injustice and what i want you to see here as well a picture of sadness of grieving and sincere heartbreak but being willing to do as much as he can to honor the passing of this good innocent man now that's the saddest sadness that's one aspect of the before another aspect of the before A dead Jesus, then, is is the epitome of powerless religion. Because another reason why this rich man and the woman are so sad is because everything that they had hoped for is now lost. It was a waste. It was a waste of time in three years. Perhaps uh, Joseph, the rich man, was even hoping, perhaps Jesus will actually revolutionize our whole government and, and he is the leader that I want to follow. But all of that ended in one breath. And so a dead Jesus is the epitome of powerless, and I might go on to say even just ugly religion. Hypocritical religion, just holding out some standards of morals and expect, expectations on people to live this way and make people feel judged and so forth without any real power to bring about those real hopes and, and, and life to being. But now I want to begin to switch to the after. See, Jesus' resurrection, not if he rose from the dead, but because he rose from the dead. Historically. I won't get into it. If I had the time, I would do my best to convince you uh, historically, logically, sound arguments, why we can trust that Jesus historically rose from the dead. I don't have time for that in this sermon. But to say, and just to declare, Jesus' resurrection that has happened is real hope for the most pure, holiest, Fairest and holistic healing and justice. Now, I say this, and especially in the times that we live in, because even in the midst of the pandemic, there are so many social justice issues going on, and, it, and it's one song of our times. Everyone is longing, crying out for social justice from uh, racial, political, sexual, etc., etc., etc. And we see this actually symbolic in the women, because the mere fact that Matthew includes the women as key central eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection at the empty tomb scene and at the crucifixion scene is speaking volumes, volumes of just the place that women have in God's plan of redemption. That they are not second class that their word is not uh, to be just ignored, that God uses what is perceived as the humble and the marginalized of society actually to bring about his purposes. And so to anyone who has some tension in their heart because of some social injustice in this life, I want to say as a blanket statement, but I think it's a fair statement, that all of the human effort, social injustice movements on this earth, in this life and history, they have some aspect of imperfection. Of, of, of some hypocrisy even. Something that, is, that falls short from something truly just. That is pure justice. The fairest and most holy justice. But it's only in Jesus. I know this is kind of just a general point, but I want you to point you to Jesus that it's in Him and his way in his resurrection, finding your worth and your identity and your longing for Jesus to be the final judge, the resurrected living judge, that you will find the healing and justice that you want. Love how N.T. Wright puts it. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible, a worldview in which the rich, the powerful, And the unscrupulous do not, after all, have the last word. Okay? See, being the rich, the powerful, the unscrupulous, that's how human justice movements try to move, move forward with their own human strength and human form of justice. The same worldview shift is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus. That's what the resurrection of Jesus is meant to do. Remember, we're still thinking about how the resurrection of Jesus shakes us to our foundations. That's the magnitude that Jesus' resurrection is meant to have in our lives. It's meant to shift us, to shift heaven and earth in our hearts and the way we look out onto the world. Now, we saw some uh, comparisons, some disparity between the women. The second-class citizens, and then this rich, powerful man but who was trying to follow Jesus. And now we see the rich and powerful who are completely rejecting Jesus. And they provide uh, an insight to the magnitude of Jesus' resurrection as well. And so jumping to verse 62 of uh, chapter 27, the next day, that is after the day of preparation. Uh, so now this is technically the Sabbath. The chief priests... And the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, Jesus, said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. At least they were paying attention. Better than some of the disciples. (laughs) Pilate said to them, and just jumping to verse 65, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. Now Pilate here, that's his way of saying, look, I'm done with this sort of made my conclusion of Jesus, basically, I think it's fair to say, Pilate concluded he's probably a crazy. He's inconsequential to my political reign here, my control. But now the Jewish leaders here, more worried, and so Pilate's saying, You have your own. See, they were a government, they had their own police, they had their own army, you have a guard of soldiers, go and make it as secure as you can. And those words there, make it as secure as you can, that's often the attitude of the non-believer. And and I want to say to any friends here who are investigating, but you've been on the other side and a bit bit more antagonistic, why? 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 Search your heart. Why are you so energetic so determined to keep Jesus dead why because a risen Jesus must be reckoned with if Jesus has risen from the dead and he has I'm not saying that as a speculative thought I believe he has risen from the dead then he has to be reckoned with because it's like those dominoes falling if all those dominoes have fallen fallen before You have to consider every one of those dominoes and how true it is. How true it is that we need a substitute. How true it is that we will stand before God and be judged one day. How true it is that this life on this earth, this history is not everything. How true it is, and we could go on and on and on. See, the Pharisees and Pilate, and especially the Pharisees, they were scared of the ramifications of a risen Jesus. A risen Jesus, it threatens our well-constructed lives. Now this is a truth for the Christian and the non-Christian. And for the Christ follower, one of our delights in life, and I hope it's a delight to you, I want you to see it as a delight, because it's driven by God's grace, not his judgment, we're to be sanctified from the moment we receive Christ until he calls us home. To continually be matured God will continue in my own heart even as a pastor first I'm just a human being I'm a a sinner who needs God's grace I'm a fellow brother just trying to follow Jesus with you And of course I'm doing my best to answer my call to live out this role as a pastor but I'm no different from that human sense and needing God's grace God even in my own life continues to show and reveal deeper fissures in my heart, deeper just impurities and inadequacies and how much I need His grace. But that's okay for me because then that much more, God is wonderful and He loves me even in my deepest darkness. But first, it will feel like that Jesus, a risen Jesus, that He's threatening your well-constructed life. Your well controlled life. Because if he's alive, then it changes everything. It shakes us to our foundations. And so we see a picture here now, chapter 28, verse 13. His appearance was like lightning. So the angel has come, the guards are there, the angel has come to roll away that tomb. There was an earthquake, and this angel, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled. And I love this description. Became like dead men. But, now notice the contrast. The angel said to the women, the followers of Christ, those who I believe were in God's grace, as they united their hearts to Jesus, Do not be afraid. Do you see the difference? Those outside of God's grace. And this is a foreshadow of every human being standing before the judgment seat. This is a foreshadow. Standing before the brilliance and the holiness, the absolute righteousness of God. And being judged on that final day. And for some of us who are outside of the resurrection of Christ, we will feel like Dead men. And that will be our eternal state, our eternal destiny under the wrath of God. But to those who have united themselves to Jesus, his death and resurrection, I believe we'll hear similar words. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified and Jesus will be right there advocating for you. See, from that little scene of the dead men versus the women who are not afraid, a risen Jesus means there really is discriminating life after death. We don't just, you know, go into this fairy sky and, and all live this happy, lovey dovey eternity. No. Life discriminates after death. God will discriminate. Those who are found righteous not on their own not by their own efforts, because no one can be good enough on their own efforts, but only with Jesus advocating for them. And so Jesus' death and resurrection is our only hope in life and death, as we sang today so beautifully. Our only hope. Now, the next thing I want you to think about with me then and see with me, and this is where we're really now getting into the after, The after effects of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection makes me reframe my story. Here's what I mean. Uh, Have you seen one of those movies where at the end, kind of like the movie Inception, if you're familiar with it, but if you don't know it, don't worry. You you won't feel left out. But just the idea, at the end, something happens right at the end, and then it just blows your mind, and you have to go and rewatch the whole story, the whole movie. It reframes the entire story. That's what Jesus' resurrection does. And where do I see this? Verse 7 of chapter 28, Then go quickly, this is the angel still speaking to the women, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and here's the behold. Here's the second behold. The first behold was the earthquake, second behold, and what's the behold? He is going before you to Galilee. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Why? Does Matthew want us to pick up on this, the fact that they are instructed to go back to Galilee? Why? Because that's where their story started. That's where Jesus called the disciples. That's where Jesus called out to Peter, put your net on the other side. That's where it all started. And so here, for real intentional reason, here's Jesus wanting to meet them where it all started. And now they're gonna replay everything in their mind the past three years. Oh my goodness, that's what Jesus meant. That's why he did this. That's what he meant. This is how gracious he was to me when he was, uh, when I did something, you know, buffoon like again and again and again. And he's still loving me and still for me. This is why he went to the cross. It's that mind blowing experience to look back on your life through the lens of God's grace. And I've experienced. A tremendous healing in my own life, if I can say from my own personal testimony. I certainly had my share of, of hurt and wounds through uh, my early years, my childhood, and, and just even up to my early 20s. And when I came to Christ, one of the most powerful just, just graces that I experienced was to go back and to realize that Jesus was there with me every step of the way, even in my sin even when something wrong was done to me. And all of a sudden, there's a redemption. And you see God's goodness. He begins, the Spirit begins to help you understand there were reasons for that. And he was using that in his grace, even though it hurt, even though it was difficult, whatnot, that God was using that so that you could come to faith and then continue to grow into a Christ-like person, character that you're meant to be. And so for the Christ follower, the gospel, the resurrection completely reframes our story. And I hope that we can be like these women who are running quickly with this strange, beautiful mix of the fear of God, the healthy fear. Oh my goodness, Jesus is real. He's risen. And and it's challenging the status quo of my life. But there's also this great joy so i hope you'll see with me as well that jesus resurrection i hope it will awaken in you your deepest affections here's the third behold verse 9 chapter 20 and behold jesus met them it's the resurrected jesus look if you only have a dead jesus if you only focus on the cross as a christ follower then your christianity i won't be surprised if the overall tone of it is guilt and shame. And you're motivated to be moral, to do the right thing out of guilt and shame. But the risen Jesus, Matthew wants us to notice this, behold, he meets them alive. And look at the friendliness. Look at the warmth, the, 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 the kinship, greetings. This is the warmest way Jesus could greet them. Greetings, like a friend. And we know one of these was Mary Magdalene. And, and, and it was either her or, or another Mary. We know before he was crucified that he, they anointed Jesus with perfume at his feet. I wonder if perhaps Jesus said, this perfume is to prepare me for my burial, if perhaps they could even smell little remnants of that scent that they had anointed Jesus' feet with. But look what they do. They took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. They knew this was their Jesus. It was their same Jesus of whose, whose feet they anointed, and He died on the cross. And they were made to recognize Him. And they worshipped. I'm not sure if this fellow, uh, you know, where he's at in his standing with, with God in Christ. Apparently he was uh, at least an ecumenical Christian, but a very, um, uh, yeah, just influential science fiction writer, Philip Dick. A lot of uh, movies uh, in this past few decades, science fiction movies, blockbuster movies have been based on his writings. But he, he says this, Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, even if you stop believing in it, it doesn't go away. And that makes sense. Now, the truest reality then is Jesus. Even if you choose to stop believing, He won't go away. We see Him here. Death cannot hold him down. But if we're going to believe it's a final thought today Jesus' resurrection, it takes spirit, birth, faith to believe. Nothing short of that. Why? The final behold here today is, while they were going, behold some of the guard that witnessed, they had eyewitness to the resurrection. And they saw this angel. We can't underestimate the significance of that. They were eyewitnesses. And behold, these guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. They even said the story. They even verbalized what they saw. And you would think them talking about it would add another just layer of cementing of what they saw in their hearts. Well, no. Verse 12, And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave A sufficient sum of money. Matthew wants us to notice that word sufficient. They were given just enough to be satisfied with their station in life. They had just enough comfort, just enough pleasures to stop believing even in what they saw. And this speaks to the necessity of the Holy Spirit bringing these truths to absolute life in our hearts, for that earthquake to happen in our hearts, and our hearts to be shaken to its foundations. And we see here that their motivation, they just wanted a status quo life. They just wanted to be kept out of trouble. We'll do our part to keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this serves as a warning for us. This serves as a warning for us. Again, these aren't words from the Bible, but biblical wisdom. Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, it doesn't go away. So where are you at? I hope today that you are renewed in the hope that you have because Jesus is alive, and that your prayer would be, Lord, let me be forever changed by your resurrection.